I'm on again. I'm pro- oh, see. So this morning we are uh, continuing our Emmanuel series. This is our Advent series. Uh, so we'll conclude uh, next week on December 19th, before Christmas. Uh, so two weeks ago, we talked about, we began with anticipation, the candle of anticipation. So the entirety of the Old Testament points to the coming Messiah. There was, there was an anticipation building in all of that. Every moment of redemption from Adam to, to Noah to Abraham, to Moses, to the entire time with Israel, their, their continued disobedience and the countless times the Lord showed them mercy. Those were all moments of redemption that pointed to Christ. So that's the entirety of the Old Testament, all those verses, and then all of a sudden, silence. So silence. So 400 years, there was silence. Not a single prophet that carried a message from God for 400 years to silence. And in that time, Rome conquers the world. Israel was, was scattered abroad. And they were asking themselves, would the Messiah ever come? There's an anticipation of waiting for the Messiah. And then last week, we talked about incarnation, right? The time has come. So what I like to do is, is, is there's a lot of, Imagination. I'm a very imaginative person, but I, I like to imagine that when that time come, all of heaven is rejoicing because God proclaims, hey, it is time. It is time to send my son. Jesus will humble himself. He'll leave his throne. He'll take on the form of a human for the purpose of salvation. Emmanuel, God with us. God will dwell and walk among men and he'll declare that the Messiah is here. And that Jesus that came down from heaven, that left his heavenly throne, he'll face rejection, he'll face persecution, he'll face torture and death. The Messiah was coming. Messiah was coming, but Israel, Israel was looking for yet another earthly king. An earthly king They never needed in the first place, yet constantly desired. They wanted an earthly king. But nonetheless, here comes Christ, not to condemn them, but to save. Messiah comes to save. The anticipation was building. The incarnation is coming. And so this morning, these two will meet with visitation. So this morning, we'll talk about the candle of visitation. To announce the Messiah is coming, God sends his messengers, angels. Angels are often used in the entirety of scripture as messengers from God. So angels will make three visitations that we'll discuss this morning. There's a visitation to Mary, there's a visitation to Joseph, and then there's a visitation to the shepherds. So we'll look at these three visitations and then we'll look at how they responded to that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we can gather, that we can open your word Lord, move me out of the way this morning, Lord. Let your word speak. Lord, let us see the importance of Christmas. Lord, let us see the importance of the gospel. May it shine through this morning that your spirit will speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So first is that visit to Mary, right? That visit to Mary. And we've read the Christmas story countless times. I hope you had. Uh, We used to have a tradition in my family growing up that my dad, uh, I don't know what happened to this Bible. My dad had this monstrosity of a Bible. It was just a massive family Bible that he would read from, and we would always read the Christmas story. And that's a tradition that I hope to continue with my family sometime. 
So this morning, we're going to look at the visit to Mary first, and that's found in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, right? And just a heads up this morning, there's going to be a lot of long passages in Scripture. Um, but I do read quickly, but I'll emphasize uh, those. So this morning, the visit to Mary is the first one we'll look at, Luke 1, verse 26. We'll start there. In the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's uh, pregnancy. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. In verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. I'm going to pause right there. Because that little phrase right there at the beginning of 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb. Luke was very intentional about that phrase because also during this time, there's a lot of Roman mythology, there's a lot of Greek mythology that talks about these false gods, Zeus and all them, that come down to earth, that mate with women, then create these demigods. So he was very specific to say, hey, no, that's not what's happening with the Holy Spirit. No, you will conceive in your womb. God will create inside of you the Messiah. He will place that in your womb. So he's very specific with that phrasing to differentiate this is the one true God. This is not like mythology. This is something special. This is a miracle. It continues on, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Holy Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age was also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So, long passage. But let, let's put ourselves in Mary's situation this morning. Now, we can assume from culture at that time that she's young. Probably around 16. She's betrothed to be married, which means she's engaged, but it's a little bit more serious in that culture time. But she's pretty much, she's going to marry Joseph. She's excited about her future with Joseph. She found her a hot, hunky carpenter. She's excited. She's excited. And then all of a sudden, she receives this visit, visit from an angel. And he says, you're going to mother the Messiah. A 16-year-old young lady, you're going to mother the Messiah. How does she respond? Number one this morning, Mary responds with obedience. Mary responds with obedience. It says there in verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. But she said, Let it be. Let it be according to your word. And she said, Behold, I am your servant. This is how she responded to this visit from this angel. Well, what a huge responsibility. Huge responsibility. But God knew she was perfect for this purpose. Because not only in this instance, but throughout her whole life, she consistently showed obedience to 
God. And it says this in verse 28 and 30. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And again, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. So she's the favored one. God graciously chose her, a willing servant, a young lady who was obedient. And one aspect in particular that's very important, where she was obedient was her purity. Was her purity. The virgin birth, the virgin birth is core to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so Christ, in order to be a sufficient sacrifice, he had to be sinless from birth until death. So the miracle of the virgin birth, it, it should never just be overlooked in the Christmas story. Because Christ, Christ could not have been born of man. His deity, his sinlessness required a virgin birth. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about righteousness. I mentioned righteousness, and there was two understandings of righteousness for believers. One, what was our righteous works, good deeds that Christ has called us to as believers. And the second one I mentioned was imputed righteousness. That's the righteousness that we receive upon salvation given to us through Christ. We did nothing to earn that righteousness. It's imputed to us through his sacrifice. So merely based on his work are we given that righteousness. And the reason we need that righteousness is because we have sinned. And scripture says in multiple passages that we are born into sin. Ephesians 2 put it this way. It says, by nature you are born children of wrath. Like I said, there's many other passages that mention we are born into sin. And so this is called the doctrine of original sin. And yes, it is very important to the Christmas story. The doctrine of original sin says that we, all of mankind, were imputed, were given, were born with a sinful nature because of Adam's original sin. So sin entered the world, and with it came death also. And that sinful nature that we have has been carried to everyone born of Adam, you with children, or you've seen children, you never have to teach them no. You never have to teach them to disobey you. They come with that. Now, am I going to call my daughter wrathful? Not all the time. She was a little whiny last night, but no. But, but right, we never have to teach them that. You have to teach them the opposite, but you never have to teach them that. Now, they're not going to come out all crazy like something, you know, out of this world, but, but they are children of wrath. They have that sinful nature. You're born into that. All those have been born of Adam. But through all of history, only three people were not born of Adam. That was Adam and Eve, who were created by God perfect, but later fell into sin. And then the third is Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary. So Jesus was not born of Adam. He was not born of man. So he did not receive the sinful nature of man. He was not imputed sin. Jesus being born of a virgin is crucial to his deity and his sinlessness. Now, it doesn't mean that Christ wasn't tempted. He was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted but he wasn't born into that sinful nature. He lived a sinless life. And Mary, being obedient to keep herself pure for marriage, 
was that one aspect of God choosing to favor her. And her obedience continued well after the birth of Jesus. She continually, continually knew that her special calling to be the mother of the Son of God was something given to her. She was chosen with favor. So Mary has obedience. Mary is seen in multiple passages throughout Scripture. Right? She's seen continually through the life of Jesus, and she was obedient to her service to God. Now, was Mary sinless? No. Mary was a sinner. But she did have obedience to God. But there's one passage in particular to me that kind of always stands out to Mary. And I remember I was reading it one time uh, just before Mother's Day, and it kind of just popped to me thinking all that. It is John 19, verses 25 through 27. And this is upon the crucifixion of Jesus. And it says this in verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which is John, standing nearby, he said to the mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her in his home. The, the, the first aspect that was Jesus doing his, his duty as the firstborn son, we can assume that Joseph has passed on. And so Jesus, being the, t- the caretaker of his mom, said, hey, John, I need you to do this for me. But there's a bigger thing in there. When he says, woman, behold your son. Listen, I'm not trying to, to add something to scripture that's not there. But, but when I think of this passage, when I read it through the perspective of Mary, something kind of pops out to me in there. Here's this mother. Here's this mother watching all the events of the crucifixion unfold on her child, her son. Her firstborn, but yet knew it was his purpose. She raised a child to be a sacrifice for the world. My my imagination kind of runs wild when when I consider like all of the, the motherly perspective of Mary. But it is interesting, it's important that listen, scripture for a reason does not expound upon this in Mary. You know why? Because Mary is not the source of salvation. Mary's not the one to be emphasized. Yes, her obedience is something to be treasured and looked at and go, wow, look what she did. She's not the source of salvation. Even in her lifetime obedience, being a servant, a favored one, she was still a sinner in need of redemption. So there, at that moment near the cross, staring at her son, bleeding, dying, Jesus was no longer just her son, it's her means of salvation. And all that she did for Christ and everything that she did, in the end, the only obedience that mattered was for her to recognize Christ's sacrifice. That was it. Her being fair, her her obedience and all, but listen, in the end, none of that mattered if she did not obey God and say, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. This is my son who has given his life for you. Even though you're his mother, even though you raised him, even though you're chosen for this perfect, this, this awesome purpose, still you need to look upon Christ as your savior. She still needed redemption that only comes through Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Mary's response was obedience. 
number two. Number two, the second visit is Joseph. Visit to Joseph. And it's found in Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her, divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, passage is from Isaiah, but Emmanuel means God with us. In verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel Lord commanded him. He took his wife and he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So just like we did with Mary, let's, let's put ourselves in Joseph's situation. Once again, we can assume that he was young, probably around 20, right? He had met the woman of his dreams. He's planning his life together with Mary. He just got done building his like dream carpenter workshop. Like it is state of the art with candles and everything. You know, it, it, was, it was that. And, and so here he is and Mary comes to him and says, hey, listen, I, I got this visit from an angel and I'm pregnant. I mean, Joseph had to just be floored, right? And, and it was, because he, he assumes the absolute worst. And scripture says that, that he, he just assumed that she had cheated. And so he's, listen, I'm, I'm planning to divorce her. I'll do it quietly, but I'm gonna divorce her. But in that same time that he, he's contemplating all this, he receives his own visit from an angel, right? His message from God. Say, no, listen, Mary is being honest. Mary is being obedient. So Joseph takes that message to heart and Joseph responds with humility. Number two, this morning, Joseph responds with humility. It says this in verse 24, that passage, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife, right? He did as commanded. So he humbly took the responsibility that God chose for him and his wife. Not an easy responsibility to assume, not at all, because you can imagine the social stigma that came with continuing in this relationship. You can imagine the whispers as they walked down the street. You can imagine the gossip, gossip, gossip that occurred to them elsewhere in the village. You can just imagine for, for a long time, maybe his whole life, there was constantly whispers of, oh, But Joseph, not being a prideful man, not being selfish, he humbled himself to serve God and to serve Mary. A biblical example of a godly marriage. Joseph humbles himself, right? Humble example of a man doing all he possibly can to serve his wife, valuing her far above himself. Philippians 2, 3 is a challenge to all believers and we should take it to heart. It says this, it says, do nothing 
from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. More significant than yourself. Joseph knew, Joseph knew God had chosen him to do this very thing, for him and Mary to raise the Son of God. The Son of God whose whole life, whose whole life is an example of humility and the sovereignty of God. So Joseph's example of humility was nothing compared to what Christ did. Because what did Christ do? The king of kings was born in a fecal-ridden barn full of cattle. He was wrapped in, in this ragged cloth. He was laid down in this bed of itchy and scratchy straw. Animals, animals were among the first to witness the birth of the Messiah, the savior of the world. Animals were the ones who witnessed that. There was no royal treatment. There's no palace. There's no servants. There's no entitlement. Christ left a heavenly throne, descended upon man, lived in a dirty, no-name village, Nazareth. Nazareth. It's like being from Gastonia, right? Or Stanley County. It's just like, that's where Kyle and Dan are from. <laughs> but, but Nazareth, it was just, it was just, it was Nazareth. But that, that's what God had intended. Even, even in ministry, Jesus, Jesus slept outside or he slept on people's floors. He chose Humility, his whole life as an example to us. But he's saying, you are nothing without Christ. Your life, your life is just a blip in eternity. Blip in eternity. Yet in that little time, we are considered, we are called to consider all others far more significant than ourselves. The gospel requires humility. The gospel requires obedience. We must humble ourselves to the point of living in service to God. Joseph's response, Joseph's response was humility. It was humility. Number three, the shepherd's visit. So we had Mary's visit, her response was obedience. We have Joseph's visit, his response was humility. And now we have the shepherd's visit. It's found in Luke Chapter two, verses eight through 20. It says this. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Angels went away from, heaven into, from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph weren't lying in the manger. Just, just. Um, 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered, marveled at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Shepherds. Shepherds. Another declaration into the humility of Christ and his entrance into this world. Because shepherds, listen, shepherds, shepherds were not considered high-class citizens. Shepherds were, were bottom-class citizens. They're, they're a transient. Often, they were, they were considered ceremonially unclean because of the work that they did. They're unclean. They're, stay away, stay out of the town, stay out of the walls. You're out there, you're a shepherd. But shepherds in their field, watching over the sheep, watching over whatever cattle, and an angel appears in the night sky. Well, once again, I like to use my imagination. Like shepherds just chilling. There's no like street lights. This is, this is probably pretty dark. And an angel, an angel appears in the night sky. And almost everywhere in scripture, when an angel appears, his first words are fear not. Are fear not. In other words, there was something to fear. But they're like, chill, bruh. They didn't say that. They said, fear not. They, yeah, they said, fear not. Why? Because they have this awe-aspiring appearance that, that can be frightening. It's just, it's just stunning, I believe. And that's why they're just like, fear not. Like, I, I come in good tidings. And listen, when they did not come in a good message to God, there was obviously something to fear. But he hears this angel in the sky and then they receive this message that a child is born. And then, not just one angel in the sky, it says a multitude of heavenly hosts. A multitude of heavenly hosts. When, when you compare that with other passages in scripture where it talks about many angels, a, a multitude is quite a bit. Revelation used the term myriads and myriads, thousands and thousands. There's a passage in Hebrews that talks about all of the angels worshiping Jesus as he came. So it's fun for me to assume that all the angels appeared in the sky. A multitude of hosts. Not just a multitude of angels, a multitude of a host. A host is a military term for a group of of men, so a multitude of hosts. It could be billions, but why not? It's, it is Christ. It is the Son of God coming to earth. You can imagine what the shepherds saw that night when just one angel appeared, and they're like, fear not, and then the whole sky fills with angels, and not just angels chilling, angels sing the glory of God in the highest and peace on earth towards men. What a thing to behold for these lowly bottom class citizen shepherds. So what do the shepherds do? They respond with 
worship. Number three, the shepherds respond with worship. Mary responded with obedience. Joseph responded with humility. Shepherds respond with worship. It says there in verse 17 through 20 passage, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them, glorifying and praising God. From bottom-class citizens to worshiping God in the flesh, to being there when incarnation occurred, when anticipation was over. He was there. There's the Messiah. They couldn't stop talking about it. Everyone they encountered heard of the miraculous story that had appeared to them. Most people probably didn't believe them, right? Most people probably did not believe them, but that did not stop them from rejoicing. They rejoiced. They worshiped at what they had encountered. The gospel makes us worship. At least it should. The understanding that you've been brought from death to life requires worship more than once a week. Your life should be consistently worshiping God. Church, from death to life. Hallelujah. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Psalms 86, 9 through 10. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Jeremiah 20, 13. Sing to the Lord, praise to the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy for the hand of the evil doers. Psalms 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18. Through the fig tree should not blossom. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fall, fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there will be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Church, need I continue? I will. Psalms 95, 1 through 6. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him in the songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all 
gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his. Also the sea is his, for he made it. For his hands form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Isaiah 12, 5. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let it be made known in all the earth. 2 Kings 17, 38 through 19. And you shall not forget the covenant that I have made with you. You shall not fear other gods. You shall fear the Lord your God, and he will deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. First Chronicles 16, 23-31. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all the gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall now be moved. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord Amen. Amen. Now I feel like a Baptist. Yeah. Right? Listen, we can do this to the end of time. And church, I hope you do. I hope you do. Because the Lord is worthy to be praised. And listen, if all of us on this earth, 7 billion people throughout eternity, was worshiping God, it's still not enough that is the Lord we worship. That, that calls a response. Worship. And that's what the shepherds did. They responded with worship. We respond with worship. Christmas. Christmas is the time that we take even additional time to celebrate Christ. Right? We, we read the visitation of messengers from God. We respond to the gospel. We respond to the gospel of Christ coming to earth to lay his life down for us. He was not the sinner. We were. He did not need righteousness. We did. And he came. That requires us to respond with obedience, with humility, worship. This morning, this morning we light the candle of visitation. Knowing the word has come, right? The anticipation, the anticipation of me lighting that candle is over, right? Anticipation is over. Incarnation has come. Messengers have declared that the Messiah is here. And next week, we'll conclude with the greatest of all, salvation. The Lord is here. Let us worship him with everything. We pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for this time that we can come.